Hi there, you're listening to the Practical Stoic Podcast with your host, me, Simon Drew. If you'd like to listen to over 200 episodes that were recorded before 2020, then you can head to my Patreon site. It's patreon.com forward slash Simon J.E. Drew. We'd love to have you there and any support is greatly appreciated. We'd love to also have you on our Facebook community, The Practical Stoic Mastermind. But for now, enjoy the show. Hi there, my name's Simon Drew and welcome to The Practical Stoic Podcast. Now today I've got a really fascinating conversation for you that I had with Professor William O. Stevens, uh, the Professor of Philosophy and Classics at Craigdon University. Uh, Now, William is such a nice guy, so incredibly knowledgeable around Stoicism and philosophy in general, and uh, I wanted to have a conversation with him around this idea of living in agreement with nature, because we actually had a conversation uh, about a month before this interview, uh, and we got half an hour into it, and the the internet connection was just terrible, it wasn't working, and I just knew that it wasn't going to be able to be salvaged, so... Uh, all that time in between the first and the and this recent interview, I've just been so excited to pick his brain on this topic, and uh, and now you get to listen to it, and I'm excited for that. So, I'll give you a little bit of context about William as well before we jump into this, and make sure you head to the links in the show notes as well, where you can find everything that he's doing online. Uh, but William has published articles on the topics such as Stoicism, Epicureanism, and friendship ecology and food ethics, ethics and animals, sex and love, sportsmanship and the concept of a person. His books include an English translation of Adolf Bonhoeffer's work The Ethics of the Stoic Epictetus, an edited collection of The Person, uh, Readings in Human Nature, uh, Stoic Ethics, Epictetus and Happiness as Freedom, and Marcus Aurelius, A Guide for the Perplexed. And is also currently working on a manuscript entitled Lessons in Liberation, Epictetus as an Educator. So, such a knowledgeable person, very much involved within the uh, Stoic community, Stoic community. And uh, I'm just so grateful that he came on the show. We're going to have him back many more times. So, without any further ado, I present to you my interview with William O. Stevens. So, we're here with William Stevens now. William... I've uh, I've got to give everyone a bit of a backstory first. So we did have a half hour conversation, as you know, uh, about a month and a half ago, and uh, and about half an hour into the conversation, I said this just isn't going to work. The internet's not on our side. It was choppy, and it just so happened that it was it was one of the best conversations I've ever had in my life, and I was so excited to get this information out of you, and that's why it was so it's such a despair, right? Because we had all this great information and the conversation was heading where we wanted it to, but um, unfortunately fate was not on our side, but I'll, I'll let you welcome, you know, well, welcome to you and I'll let you introduce you. yourself to the audience and then we can just dive in. Thank you, Simon. Yes, no, it's my pleasure. It's always fun for me to talk a philosophy with any and everyone. Um, and it's especially, especially enjoyable to be interviewed by you uh, on this format, uh, reaching your, your viewers. Um, and a wider audience. Uh, I, I was uh, I was somewhat mildly taken to task a couple weeks ago by one of uh, a friend of mine who uh, I met at a conference over a year ago, um, who uh, who is collaborating with me, has been collaborating with me, and uh, several of his co-authors 
on a joint project. Uh, and he's kind of scolded me for not doing more to enhance my online profile uh-huh. in, in the network of uh, practitioners of stoicism. He says, I'm just really not known because uh, as an academic, I've been presenting papers and, and giving talks and, and going to conferences and publishing things for now, but uh, outside of academia, I, I have not, I have not made uh, much of a splash. So anyway, so it's nice to have this opportunity to get my feet wet, um, uh, reaching that broader audience and uh, trying to enhance my profile so that my uh, ideas and thoughts and interpretations of stoicism that may be of interest to people uh, are more accessible to them in this in this broader community. Yeah, no, well, I, I'm really glad that I'm able to help you with that because, um, you know, it's, I'm, I'm so fortunate that I get to speak to people like yourself who, you know, have these brilliant ideas, you know, really thinking about stoicism and it, it enhances my life, it enhances my understanding of the philosophy and it enhances everybody who's listening as well. So, and, uh, you know, you could, it could even be said uh, that we could look at this like Seneca looked at it and say, well, the fact that I haven't heard of you makes me respect you even more, right? It's like, uh, you know, you, you're, you're just out there being busy doing your work and doing what you do. And that's really good. Yes. I mean, if your work is, I've really been thinking about this lately uh, because I've been trying to, ever since probably November last year, I've been in a process of trying to get rid of everything that's unnecessary in my life, trying to just yes. get it down to the bare essentials. Yes. And when I think of even social media and stuff like that, I'm really struggling at the moment with the idea of, you know, maybe I don't need to do all the social media. Maybe I just need to do a few really well. And if my work is good enough and if I'm thinking clearly enough, people will pay attention, right? Or the right people will pay attention if I'm doing the right work. And I think that it's probably the same with you. I mean, you were recommended to come on the show by another prominent uh, stoic thinker. And that's exactly the same thing. The right people will come into the right place if you're just focused on doing the best work that you can do, right? Um, but uh, I want to jump in straight away to a conversation that we left off, which is the whole idea of alignment with nature. Um, because I've heard so many different takes on this. You know, I've dabbled in it from time to time on the podcast. And I have to tell you in this whole big preamble um, that the entire first two years of me doing this podcast, I really strayed away. I didn't want to go into the idea of alignment with nature because I had no idea what it meant. And I hadn't heard a clear, concise idea of this is exactly what it is. And even now when I'm interviewing people, so many people have different takes. So I want to know from you, how do you see alignment with nature? What does it mean to you or what is your interpretation of the works and, and how can we kind of use that in our lives? Yeah, well, I, I, I mean, having studied ancient philosophy for a long time and Stoicism as my favorite of all of the ancient philosophies, um, my approach has always been in, in the classroom and in, in my own writing to start with the primary sources, right? Because they're the origin of Stoic thought and Stoic thinking has had a long and famous history since then, but I really think it's it's just vital to start with what the original Stoics 
said on a subject and then build from there as we tailor their ideas to our needs and our concerns um, as contemporary thinkers and contemporary intellectuals today. So that said, it just absolutely has to be emphasized, it seems to me, that living in accordance with or living in agreement with nature, living in as they say in the Greek, this is how the original ancient Stoics defined the very goal, the telos of human life. So to try to subtract that or remove that definition as too problematic or too confusing or too antiquated or too naive given our contemporary scientific understanding in a post-Darwinian, post-evolutionary, perhaps post-theological um, or, or, you know, uh, you know um, uh, non-religious secular setting, um, I think is, is a fundamental mistake from the get-go because if we want to modify the Stoics' understanding of the role of reason in human life, do that after a firm understanding of what, what reason was for them and how it was grounded in human nature and then the relationship between human reason and the cosmos as a whole, the natural world, the universe. So that's why I think it's just vital to start with living in agreement with nature. So as we talked about last time, um, this is actually a very rich concept for the ancient Stoics. Nature is polyvalent, right? It has many different layers of meaning, right? Mm. So uh, more, most broadly construed, nature we could conceive of as nature with a capital N, right? Mm. Meaning the entire natural world. So this extends beyond planet Earth into the solar system and the entire universe as we understand it. Mm. So can for, I just pause you there for one second? Because yeah. I have to, I have to emphasize that point. I've had this conversation with people where I say, like, uh, okay, so what you need to understand is that you're not separate from nature, right? And and right. that you are an active part of nature. And then they say, right. well, okay, well, imagine if they took us off the planet, like the planet would still keep on going. And I'm like, yeah, you can take us off the planet, but that doesn't mean you're taking us out of nature. Nature encompasses the entire cosmos, right? Right, and no matter exactly. where you take human beings, they will always be somewhere within that realm of nature, right? It's impossible yes, to take the elements of our body out of this whole scheme of life. And I just, because yes. we, we too often think of nature as planet Earth, right? And that's just not what it is. Right, right. So very good. So in, in fact, I mean, uh, Stoics offering Stoicism as a way of life for all human beings, all rational adult human beings would apply equally to astronauts, right? So if mm. we have space travelers that are going to Mars, right? Or, or if you're a, a movie fan, as I am, as many people are, uh, you will have enjoyed Matt Damon's movie, right? And his setting in that movie, I don't know if you know the movie, but his setting being isolated, being stranded there all by himself and having to science the hell out of a myriad practical problems and not to be demoralized and to continue persevering and problem solving and using his cognitive abilities 
to survive and sustain himself and, and actually grow food and so forth. What a, what a perfect opportunity for him to exercise basic Stoic principles, right? Mm. Even on another planet, even when he's yeah. all by himself, when his technology breaks down and he's got to fix stuff. Mm. So yeah, so if there's space travelers, I mean, Stoics in space, yeah, it's not just limited to the biosphere. Well, that's a good so, point, right? Because you, you, you go into a different planet and you're not going to say, well, I should just be able to plant corn and it should be able to grow, right? You're going to say, okay, what's, what are the natural laws of this current ecosystem uh, exactly. that run this whole thing? And once I understand the physics, like the Stoics started to understand, right? If I can understand the physics, then I can understand how I can mold my actions to be in alignment with those physics so that I have the best chance of survival and thriving, right? Right. And, and this, is, this is the deeply pragmatic or pra practical um, aspect of Stoicism, right? If you can't practice the philosophy, then it's useless. Yeah. And you do need to study the, the theory. You do, not, you do need to understand uh, Stoic physics and Stoic logic and speech and, and principles of persuasive reasoning and rhetoric, be rhetorically sophisticated in communicating with other people. Those other two branches of Stoicism are very important too, but it has to be a philosophy you can live or else you're not going to be able to, to flourish. You're not going to be able to benefit from a mm. philosophy if it's not practical and eminently practical as Stoicism is, right, and from the beginning. Right so, uh, right, so living in agreement with nature, living in agreement with the cosmos, the, the, the totality of the all, the ancients called it, right? The, the whole thing, the universe. Um, and that's where the unfolding of events is the, the sort of cosmic challenge, right? How do we adapt and cope with each event as it occurs to us following the natural laws that you mentioned on whichever planet we're in, whether we're in a spaceship or on the beach or self-isolating at home, uh, because of a pandemic, right? Um, and so that's the kind of cosmic or astronomical, if you will, sense of nature with the biggest capital M, the flow of events mm. in the universe. But nature also, another layer of nature is much more fundamentally at the level of our planet and within the biosphere, right? Within this thin sphere of life that's teeming with life mm. on our on our on our planet so living in agreement with nature in that sense means living in agreement with biology mm. and specifically biological processes right and so as living beings and as mammals and as primates human beings have biological parameters within which we have to operate in order to survive long enough to reproduce if we choose to reproduce right and mm. sustain ourselves every day we have to have oxygen we have to have water plenty of it right every day we have to have some kind of food right and we also need more than that, right? We need exercise in order for our bodies and our constitutions, our, our physiology 
a physiological apparatus to operate properly and to keep our immune system strong, which means that we have to get enough sleep every night, right? So you gotta hydrate, you gotta exercise, you gotta get good quality sleep every night, and washing your hands, always yeah. a good idea <laughs> during the pandemic, more than ever, right? Yeah. So living in agreement with nature then means living in agreement with our biological nature as animals. So we have to eat like other animals do. We have to sleep like they do. We have to move around like they do, right? Other mammals, right? But as primates, as other primates are social and live together in groups, it's not a distinctly human feature of our human nature, our human biology, that we congregate, that we associate with others of our kind because other primates do that too. And we communicate with each other as other primates too, right? And we use tools as other primates too, right? Mm. So then we're off and running with the construction of human society, human communal living, right? What is living in agreement with our communal nature going to require of us? Well, it requires that we develop techniques for resolving conflict right? Resolving strife because this disrupts the social fabric of human living. And Marcus Aurelius and Seneca and Epictetus all talk about the importance of getting along with other people, right? Cooperating. Not just getting along in the sense that you go do your thing, I'll stay over here and do my thing, and we'll try not to knock heads together. No, For the Stoics, they have this very organic, cohesive notion of human community in which we help each other. We participate in communal living, each contributing our own skills and abilities to help each other live well, right? Mm. And this is not, again, strictly limited to Stoic thinking, but Platonists and Aristotelians also emphasize the necessity of social living. Or we can't flourish, we can't thrive as human beings if we're in social isolation, right? Yeah. And so then you also have the other sciences that we know um, shed light on our understanding of nature. So chemistry and biochemistry, mm. right? and the importance of vitamins and micronutrients and all the rest of the stuff. So, you know, some diets are gonna be healthier for us than others. So living in agreement with our our understanding nutritional science is gonna mean, you know, not eating cheesy pizza and ice cream four times a day and drinking Mm. and washing it down with milkshakes because that's just not going to allow us to thrive and be healthy right yeah. so we we draw from our knowledge of nutrition and, and so forth so that this is exactly this is exactly why i i take such issue with people who say who, or who still cling to those quotes that say you know the body is out of your control you know and so really it doesn't it doesn't ma- like well i mean if you're trying to align with nature, you should want to take care of your body because your body is literally the house for your brain, your ability to reason, your ability to think. And and it just doesn't make sense that, that anyone who's, who's trying to align with these stoic principles would, would not want to take care of their body to the best of their abilities, because it's the very vehicle that allows you to move through this world. Right. 
and right, and exactly. so yeah i just i hear too many times it's like okay the body's out of your control well there are certain elements that are out of your control um but if you use your reasoning capabilities uh then you can actually help your body to be strong and healthy and, and fit and 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 that always leads to a better reasoning capacity yes exactly exactly and mm. and, and again this is the flexibility i mean if it's the case that you have an injury or maybe you you were you had a congenital um, you know condition from birth that didn't allow you to develop your limbs or you know certain organs required you know surgical attention or you have to take you know special uh, medicines in order to digest your food or see clearly or whatever it is um, yeah that's a matter of ad adapting to what is up to you right it's the decision making is up to you it's made effort to uh, collect information to inform your decisions. And once you make your decisions and you attempt your actions, then yes, how that plays out outside of your, Epictetus with prohiresis, right? Outside of your, your volition, right? Or choice. Yeah, that's not up to you, right? So, you know, once you put the food into your body and you're digesting it, it's up to you whether you try to purge right you can try to throw up but once it's yeah. being digested it's not really up to you how it's going to affect your body right mm. so yeah so all the time yeah you want to get back to this this dichotomy of control what's up to you and what's not but as you say i mean we're, we're part of nature and so remembering that the stoics are physicalists they don't believe that you are some sort of ghostly intellect that's loosely connected to this fleshy thing, right? They believe that you know you your your soul is a physical thing that's a very you know airy right that, mm. that's, that provides this this tautness inside your body and it causally interacts with it. But the soul is understood as a physical entity that's dispersed throughout another kind of physical entity, your body. Um, mm. And the two together constitute what you are. So they, is that, is that what they call physicalists? Is that what they called the logos? The logos was the thing that was essentially making this whole thing work. Everything work is, is that what they talked about when they talked about the soul or is it different? No, the, the, what I was referring to is, I mean, the Greek there is, uh, well, sometimes they they use the word suke, right? Mm -hmm. uh, P S Y C H E. Um, but uh, the Stoic standing of the soul involves this command center, the hegemonicon. That's what controls um, your five senses, your power of speech, and your reproductive powers. So vision, smelling, hearing, uh, uh, taste, touch. Um, is that five? Vision, smelling, hearing, taste, touch, and then your power of speech, that's gonna be logos, right? Speech, mm. rational utterance, and then your uh, procreative or reproductive powers. Those are the seven, seven, or seven physical functions, physical powers that the hegemonicon um, controls, that the ruling mm. faculty controls of your soul, right? Yeah. Okay. Whereas logos, I mean, this, you know, the core meaning there is rational utterance. So it's, it's intimately connected with speech, but it's also the internal faculty by which 
you can think, reason, interpret your sensory stimuli, and uh, is this principle not only with regard to your mind or intellect, but also um, in the cosmos, right? The cosmos is organized according to this kind of pattern of regularity and orderliness that is uh, the cosmic reason, cosmic logos. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Cool. Yeah. That that makes it clearer for me because I, I was speaking with Gregory Lopez and and we came to this really interesting point where I'd been thinking about this for for a while. This this verse in in the Bible that said that God is the Word and the Word was good. Like and and yes. so interesting how the Stoics you know, almost, almost came to a very similar part. And I've been really thinking lately, uh, trying to get my head around some of these, these verses in, in meditations from Marcus Aurelius, where he talks about almost the divinity of nature or the, um, the, the, uh, providence found within everything. Right. Um, and when you start talking about this, it's so hard, especially for us in Western cultures, to get rid of this idea of God as what we think it means, right? Because if I say God, everybody immediately thinks, oh, what are you worshipping this person? Or is this like an ultimate power or something like that? But when the Stoics talked about providence and divinity, I almost feel like it's they were talking about a really getting their mindset into a much closer alignment with that divinity, whatever it is, there's no worshiping. There's no, you know, this is the thing that I need to bow down to. It is simply, I'm a part of this. And therefore the divinity is within me. It's within this tree. It's within this animal. It's within everything. Right. Right. And the divinity is merely the thing that makes it all work. And you can't necessarily even describe it. Right. It's, it's just whatever it is. There's providence in everything is what Marcus Aurelius said. Can you speak to the way that Zeno or any of the Stoics looked at what did they mean by providence? What was it to them? If, if you, if you have a definition. Yes, exactly. This is good. So, so again, this is where the, the connotations of nature and what's natural are again, vital for understanding Stoic theology. So um, in the Judeo Christian tradition, after uh, after centuries of medieval thought, right? Um, theologians, medieval philosophers of religion and theologians cultivated this conception of the Christian God as outside of nature, above nature, that is supernatural. Mm. And this is not the ancient Stoic understanding at all, right? The Stoic understanding of the divine is a natural one. God is not outside of nature. God is an aspect of nature itself, right? Mm. So, so God is not supernatural and separate from the world, outside of it, creating it. Uh, God is precisely the orderly, structured, intentional, logical pattern or architecture, if you will, of the cosmos, right? Mm. Of the universe. So that it is shot through with principles of regularity, which we call natural laws, right? 
Mm. Um, the, the, the risk sometimes when we talk about natural laws is that, again, we import this post-medieval supernatural understanding of God as a lawgiver passing down laws to, to us cosmic citizens, which we then just sort of accept instead of recognizing that the, there isn't a separate lawgiver. These are regularities in natural phenomena that mm. we observe and describe scientifically. So, um, so providence with a capital is simply another name for this cosmic logos, this seminal reason which, which guides and governs all of these natural events as they unfold. So day changing into night and night to day, spring, summer, fall, and winter as a seasonal cycle. And then again, biological processes of birth, maturation, reproduction, and then aging leading to death, and then recycling of those biotic, right, those organic materials into new kinds of life. So yeah. we've got the cycle of life and death, right? All of these are expressive of the regularity in the thoroughly natural world and the natural processes that, that animate it, that make it mm. work, that make it run. So yeah. providence is just another name for fate, the things that do happen in the universe on earth and anywhere else. Mm. So fate, <clears throat> destiny, providence, orthos lagos, meaning, uh, you know, uh, 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 right reason, right? Right in the sense of correct, um, proper yeah. reason. And this kind of spermatic, you know, the, the spermatic, metaphysical um, elements that are in us, right? Uh, particularly densely organized in us, but there's also a degree of rational structure in other animals and even in plants, right? Mm. Because plants don't behave erratically and, uh, and, and randomly, right? They have their own internal principles of growth and regulation and phototropism, and reproduction, and so forth. So mm. this is shot through the entire animal kingdom, the plant kingdom, and of course, through human beings as well. The notion mm. of providence is just that, and again, the, the Stoics were not Darwinian, right? Darwin comes much later, but they recognized that things that happen in nature with such tremendous regularity are not happening by accident. Mm. Right. We describe the biology and the biochemistry and the chemical processes that go on in plant and animal life. And the Stoics recognize this. And so living in agreement with nature there means, hey, it's a great thing that we can take in food and digest it and get energy as a mm. result of it. Um, yeah, I, I think that's that's a really, really important um, idea there that that the providences in nature is simply the processes that if questioned far enough, we really have no idea how they work, but they just work. Right. And they work everywhere. Like we can, we can learn what happens and we can look closer and closer and closer, but the closer we look, I think, I think we're actually finding out now that we actually have no idea just how perfectly this whole system works. Right. 
And I think for the Stoics, it was, it was kind of, it, it seems like it was kind of like, well, this all works perfectly and it doesn't necessarily need to be described uh, as a God. It doesn't need to be described as anything other than the perfect system within which we live. And I mean, I, I could even talk about, you know, last night I was watching um, Paul Stamets just brought out this fabulous new documentary. Everybody has to watch it. It's called Fantastic Fungi. And, and literally they're talking about how they're starting to understand that trees in the forest can transfer nutrients through their root systems and through the uh, mycelium uh, within the ground through to their offspring, right? So they can, they can transfer, if there's a tree next to it, it can literally transfer the nutrients over to it if it's not getting enough nutrients, right? So we're starting to understand that we have no idea how this whole system works, but it really right. works really well, right? And right? That's what I love about the stoic point of view. It's like, you are a part of this and everything just naturally works. So if everything naturally works, I've been thinking about this lately, doesn't it make sense that if we were to tap into that source of the logos, right, then we would find that we naturally work as well, like which we do over centuries and over over millennia we find that human beings just naturally are always progressing always growing always always finding you know new ways to understand the world i wanted to go a little bit in the weeds here with you because uh there's there's been some really interesting connections that i've been finding between the alignment with nature that the stoics talked about and say Taoism uh, and the way that they viewed, uh, you know, looking at your place within the world. Because I, I, I think the Taoists basically said that you shouldn't force anything. You shouldn't try to not desire things. You shouldn't try to force yourself into a disciplinary state where you're trying to be something that you're simply not. But to not force anything, to understand that uh, ultimately, even you cannot make the most rational decision because rationality is the thing that believes itself, right? It's like, am I rational? Well, I would need rationality to be able to say that I'm rational. So am I rational? You know? So do you think that there was any part of the stoic view here that said, stop trying so much to fit in because you already do fit in. You are absolutely a natural part of this. Was there any part of them? Do you think, do you think that said, I, I'm struggling to get this out that if you were just to let go of everything that you can't control for a little bit, then maybe you would find that you actually do have somewhat of an internal compass, just the same way that a lion would have an internal compass. Yeah. Right. Good. So, yeah. So my understanding is uh, following the Tao involves effort. So it's Mm. the kind of paradoxical notion that, that it does require effort but it doesn't require, you know, forcing, obsessive imposition, yeah. trying to get a square peg in a round hole kind of thing. So, yeah, I mean, if you're a Stoic and you believe in providence, fate, destiny, right reason, you know, that, that the universe is well-structured, orderly, put together, operates on its own without my contributions just fine right and has done so for a very long time then this does invite you to have a great deal of confidence that the world 
will operate just fine whether or not I choose to participate in the symphony, right? Mm. That there's this kind of symphonic orchestration that governs everything that happens everywhere. And so it's not like everything will fall apart everywhere if I'm not keeping all of you know, the balls that I'm juggling at the moment in the air, the universe is going to keep on ticking just fine and has done so for a very long time. In fact, stoicism is so often a good corrective to arrogance, to think mm. that everything's just going to completely fall apart if I don't have control, tight, iron-fisted control over every little aspect of my tiny little slice of the world that I move around in and interact with. What, what foolishness is that, right? The universe mm. has done just fine without me since I came on the scene. It will do just fine without me once I'm gone, right? Yeah. And so that perspective provides both a, a confidence that things are gonna go okay big picture, just fine, regardless of what I do, right? But that doesn't exonerate me from what I am responsible for, which is the things which are directly completely up to me, right? Yeah. How I handle myself, what I do, what I say, what I fail to do, what I fail to say, right? When I fail to stand up for justice, when I fail to do my part to protect the weak and vulnerable, that's entirely on me. No excuses there. That's my failure. That's my wickedness. And I'm going to be miserable as a consequence of that, right? Mm. Um, but at the same time, since there's so much that's not up to me, it's the recognition that that's okay. Mm. It's okay that the weather is not up to me. Yeah. I don't decide when it rains or snows, when it gets hot or dry or whatever, right? Thank goodness that's not up to me. I don't have the power or the wisdom to, to control that sort of stuff, right? And it's the same with other people, right? And this is why in my profession, it's, it's just vital to really remind myself, uh, try to remind myself that teaching is entirely a two-way street, right? You can put ideas out there. You can ask questions. You can respond to questions that students ask you, but you can't make anyone learn anything. Yeah, yeah. You can't force knowledge that you've, that you've acquired over years of study and experience and listening to other people and reading things and thinking about them. You can't force that down anyone's throat. It just doesn't work that way. So fundamentally, education is just always, always, a journey of self-discovery. And so if you remember that and you think about your own learning and what other teachers provided you, then what you do is you try to model their techniques that you thought worked really well. And then you try to pass that on to your students, but you put it out there, whether they take it or not, how they internalize it, how they interpret it, that's entirely up to them. And you have to mm -hmm. be okay with it. You have to be okay with that. It's the same thing with the universe itself. The universe gives us opportunities to learn stuff. And if we can figure it out for ourselves and incorporate it into our lives and improve ourselves 
in consequence of that, that's great, but we're going to make mistakes. And we need to know that about ourselves too, right? Because we're fallible. We have finite resources. You know, you can read a book that you love and want to read the whole thing in one sitting. But when you get to be my age, you can't do all nighters anymore. You just can't. You got to sleep. Yeah. So you need to be aware of your own limitations, always your own limitations as a human being. And this gets back to the living agreement with nature stuff again, right? Because living agreement with nature for me given my age and my physical limitations and abilities is going to be different in subtle ways and maybe not so subtle mm. ways from what living agreement with you as a young fellow with lots of energy, right? And lots of abilities that I don't have anymore, right? Or maybe never did depending mm. on, you know, our talents and skills. So living agreement with nature means, okay, you have to accept that about your own skill set. What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? And live in agreement with your self-knowledge of those limitations. Mm. Yeah, so anyway, no, I, was, I was diverging I, no, a bit from talking about no, Taoism. No that, no, that was brilliant. And, and you said something there that I really want to touch on. And, um, and then maybe we can move away from the alignment with nature because I know we're really going into the weeds here. But um, you said the universe will keep on going no matter whether you, you know, input or not. Right. And there's, I try to say these things and, and, and to not allow it to seem as though I'm, I'm becoming very religious in this conversation, but I'm very interested in the ancient ideas that were found everywhere, right. Whether they were, you know, found in the West, in the East, all over the world. And it's very interesting to me, the connections, and there's, there's a verse in the Bible. There's a passage in Matthew, I think. I've been very interested in I've, I've never been more interested in the Bible than now. And I'm not even a Christian or anything. I'm so interested in the connections. Yeah. There's, this, there's this passage where it's talking about uh, if, if God would clothe the grass of the field today, which is thrown into the kiln tomorrow, wouldn't he so too? Uh, I can't remember what it was. It, wouldn't he also clothe you, a ye of little faith? It's basically saying if whatever it is, the logos is going yeah. to take care of the animals and the trees and they have everything yeah. that they need and they have, yeah. and they never have to worry about anything. They simply do what they do. Then doesn't it make sense that you would also be taken care of if you focus on the bare essentials. And for me, that has been the process lately of trying to figure out, cause I think that that actually aligns perfectly with the stoic idea of aligning with nature uh, in that if you focus on what's important and if you focus on what you can actually control, maybe you tap into that part of the cosmos that simply works just because you're doing exactly what you can do. Right. Yes. And, and if you focus today on exactly what you need to do and what you can do, then maybe things will just fall into place naturally by laws of the universe. Uh, and it, and again, this is the sort of stuff where it gets, it gets to the point where people are going to point at me saying, what are you preaching the secret or something like that? I'm not. <laughs> and and, and the, the, the word that you used earlier to describe the feeling is exactly right. It's confidence, right? There's a certain confidence that comes about when you realize that maybe if I focus on what's important, then things will simply fall into place uh, where they can fall into place. Yes, exactly. And, and as you're speaking, I, I was thinking of, because you had mentioned Marcus Aurelius earlier, I was thinking of texts in Marcus and the meditations where he talks about that, right? So um, 
the Stoics and, and, and many and, and the ancient philosophers in general were, were keen observers of the, the natural world, but, but the world of plants and animals and insects. And so it was not lost upon them how admirably a hive of bees takes care of their home. You've got the worker bees and the drones, and you've got you know, the queen doing it. You know, they were sexist, so they, they described it as the king bee, right? We learned that it's a queen bee. Um, but uh, each, each bee has its own role to play. Each bee has its own part contributing to the good of the whole. And this is a theme, as I discuss it in my, my Marcus Aurelius book, Marcus, you know, is, it repeats this refrain over and over again, right? If it doesn't harm the whole, then it's not going to be bad for any one of the parts. And so in our own lives, if we recognize that what's good for the whole community is because we're an organic part of that whole, if it's good for the whole, it is going to be good for us because we can't detach ourselves and live as isolated parts, dismembered parts, right? We can't thrive as human beings. That would be contrary to nature at all levels, right? So, yeah, exactly. So uh, if we focus on, as, just as you put it, on what matters, virtue and the things pertaining to virtue, right? Among the, uh, uh, within the things that are up to us, if we focus on making smart, wise, courageous, frugal, just, fair, temperate, self-controlled, moderate, generous decisions in our own lives, in dealing with our own relationships with family members, friends, co-workers, neighbors, you know, associates in the different groups that we, we move through in different circles of affiliation. If we focus on behaving as we ought to and focusing on making good choices ourselves in all of those contexts, good heavens, we are doing our part to support nature, just as the bees are. Mm. The bees are doing their part in their hive operate properly, right? And not just this hive of bees here, but all the hives of bees, wherever they are, and all the many different species of bees, and the millions of other species of insects, right? And so forth, right? They're all doing their part. So are the birds, right? And so again, the, the Stoics are such, such sharp observers of birds and bees and plants and animals and insects in the natural world, that that's what they mean when they mean living in agreement with nature or as we would say it today, living sustainably, right? Not yeah. outstripping the abundance of resources that our planet provides, all of these different natural goods which sustain all of these different kinds of life, lives, not just human beings, not just my life, not just the members of my tribe, right, or my group, or my city, or my nation, right, but all human beings, and not just human beings, all primates, but not just primates, all mammals, but not just mammals, reptiles and fish and all of it, right? We need healthy oceans, right? And so coral reefs are having 
terrible time of it these days, and so forth and so on, right? So that this is this is, I think, what what the Stoics have in mind when they talk about living in agreement with nature, all of these different species and ecosystems and kinds of plants and animals and insects and so forth, um, each doing its part to contribute to the rational functioning of the whole biosphere. Yeah, no, that's brilliant. I, I have three things to touch on based on what you said there, because oh, there was so much good stuff in that. It's so, it's so true. Firstly, the thing that I want to say is the exact thing that I had feared this morning has happened and there's people outside mowing the lawn. I looked out this morning. I literally said, <laughs> I said, no, that lawn looks pretty good. They won't come today. And of course they come today, but that's, so that's why I'm muting it every time I'm not speaking. But, um, okay. so, so you mentioned the, the hive. That's, that's such a brilliant idea that Marcus Aurelius talked about. And you could argue that we are living in the best possible time in history to be able to view the hive of humanity and how it works. Right. I recently yes. had a conversation with David Ropeek, um, who is, who is an ex Harvard instructor on risk perception and talking about all of the instinctual and biological psychological things in the works that are making us do what we're doing at the moment to do with the coronavirus. Right. Yes. And after that conversation, I was like, wow. Okay. If you, you can sit, you can understand all this simply by observing people and how they act. Right. And that, that brings me to another very important point, which you brought up, which is that the Stoics were keen observers. I think, I think this is probably going to be the last thing that I'm going to touch on here and let you comment on. Cause I know that we're coming up to a close to an hour here, but, um, and this is good. We've gone through all of the different ways that we can align with nature, but I really think that the Stoics had it right when they were observing things, right? Because too often, don't you think we get so bogged down in the books and in the information and trying to learn new things when really it would be beneficial for us to potentially from time to time step back and simply observe things for how they are, right? Because that's how they yeah. came up with all of these various theories about life. And, and I've found that so helpful lately personally just to take some time where I'm not searching for new information, but rather I'm allowing the information in my mind to process as I observe the world around me. And I really do think that that has helped me so much more than many resources to understand what the Stoics talked about. Can, can you speak to that a little bit? Absolutely. So, so uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, last few weeks, I've been working on a paper. This is why it's on the forefront of my mind. Um, uh, working on a paper on this, uh, on the Stoic views of nature and specifically as nature manifests itself in farming, in agrarianism, right, in an agricultural context. And, you know, it, it, it strikes me that for contemporary Stoic practitioners like us, like the majority of the human population all over the planet, right, we are urban dwellers. The vast majority of us live not just in cities, but either in or near quite large cities. And if you look at population growth historically, right, as you were, you know, suggesting or hinting, you know, there, there are more human beings scampering around on the planet now than ever in the history of the planet, ever. So, so cities are getting bigger. Human population is growing and growing and growing and growing. And so the context of our lives is 
is thoroughly urbanized. And because of that, when we're commuting, when we're living so close to so many other people, and we look up in the night sky, and it's just sort of dark. It's not black punctuated by points of light because in cities, we have tremendous light pollution in addition to the air and water pollution, right? That are direct consequences of us not being careful when it comes to our footprints and our waste and so forth. Um, but it makes it harder, I think, as, as students of Stoicism to, to remember that in the ancient world, there were so fewer people and they were spread across you know, the same you know, land masses and continents. There was just so much lower density of human habitations, human communities, such that at night it was really dark and you could see the stars and you could be awed by, you would be awed looking up at the Milky Way, right? We've lost so much of that in the urban setting. And again, it, some people do garden, right? My, my brother is, is very active in gardening and planting uh, both flowers and some vegetables that he eats at, at his home. But many of us, I, for example, don't, don't garden, don't, don't raise food to eat, don't plant plants. And so in this kind of urban setting, um, we turn books because we don't have quite as rich and variegated an environment of natural things, natural processes of plants and animals, right? To, to be inspired to be impressed by how well they live lives, by how remarkably they transform and they respond to challenges of drought and flooding and yet continue to survive and even thrive despite those things. So, so it is as if our, our range of lessons that we can learn in cultivating our own wisdom and understanding has been narrowed by our urban the urbanized setting that that we majority of us live in, uh, whereas there are lessons yeah. to be learned by farmers doing farming, right? Working yeah. working with animals, cultivating plants, and so forth. So reading reading those ancient texts about Marcus and Seneca uh, and, and Epictetus to a lesser extent commenting on farming. One of the great works that I can put a, put in a plug for here that, that I had not studied much at all before that most Stoic students don't ever read is Seneca's Natural Questions. People read his letters, people read his moral essays, they're all wonderful. Why did Seneca devote thousands of words to theorizing about lightning and the flooding and the receding of the Nile River and earthquakes and comets and meteors and all of that. Why did he do that? It's because the natural world is full of those marvels. And to be a Stoic is to want to understand how the world works. So he wrote this wonderful tract on the natural questions. And he has these digressions in which he bemoans the moral failings of his fellow Romans who were decadent and who don't care about virtue and who are gluttons and who drink too much wine 
and they're, they're too greedy, and their moral characters are depraved as a consequence because they don't have an appreciation of, as we were calling for providence, cosmic order, right, and so forth. Yeah. No, that, that's absolutely brilliant. I, I love that. And, you know, having grown up on a farm myself, I, I do know the feeling of looking up into the sky and seeing the stars and, and being like, oh, my gosh. And, you know, we had these uh, exchange students from Japan once and, and they, they all went outside and they looked outside. There were like three stars in the sky that night. It was a very bad night for us. But they were absolutely in awe because they come from these cities in Japan where they would never they see anything it. like three stars. No. no. And, and it really does open your mind up to wonder. And I think that farmers as well, because they are constantly battling against the elements and because their livelihoods are completely dependent on whether they have a cyclone this year, whether they have a drought this year, they instinctually yes. know, well, they, so they simply know through observation that th- their livelihood depends on nature. And so they need to, they need to align with that, right? And, and I really think that so many of the problems that we face today come from a unalignment with nature, not simply in the way that we act, but in the way that we as humanity think that we are separate from it. And so we don't treat it with respect, right? And we've exactly. found out time and time and time again that when you don't treat nature with respect, it will come back and bite you and it will show you that it actually is so much older and so much more powerful than you think you are. And so exactly. it's just going to exactly. yeah, and this, this whole coronavirus, honestly, this, this could be a perfect example. It's like, Hey, something happened that led to this becoming an outbreak and, and just going all around the world. Like we need to understand what that thing that happened was. And we need to understand how we can align with nature to, to a greater degree so that we can understand that this thing is going to happen again and again and again, and we need to prepare for it. And we need to prepare to maybe not let it happen again. Like there's, there's so many different parallels, but um, yeah, William, I just, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. I know if we keep on going, there's probably going to be a helicopter come over the house and then there's going to be more <laughs> noise going on. I, I, I feel bad about that, but uh, just I, I let us know. Honestly, Simon, I could not hear, I did not hear the lawnmower at all. Oh, brilliant. Remember, okay. You always, always have to be stoic that beyond your control when they decide to cut the grass. So we I know it's, it's beyond my control, control, but what is in my control is to make sure that we get the best interview possible and I think that we've, I think we've touched on so many brilliant things here. And, uh, and honestly, William, I want to thank you so much. Where can people find you? Where can they get your books? Um, and do you have anything that you want to share with the audience before we head off? Oh, yes. Okay. So, uh, uh, so I, I, I do have my own, I, I do have my own, uh, webpage. You can link to, uh, uh, my publications there. There are links from, from that to, um, uh, my publisher's website. So, uh, but of course, you know, you can, you can just Google books by William O. Stevens uh, on Amazon. Um, just remember, there's, uh, there's no. I, I tell I tell people who are learning how to spell my surname, there's no V in philosopher and there's no V in Stevens. It's S T E P H E N S William O. Um, yeah, Google me. You'll find my stuff. I, I have some of uh, the talks I gave. Uh, two of the talks I gave at uh, Stoicon the last couple of years. Um, I've links on my webpage to those. So if they're YouTube's people want to watch, those are, those are on papers, uh, presentations that I've given recently. Um, and yeah, I get emails from people out of the blue who are reading my stuff and they say very nice things and they have questions for me and then they become 
internet friends as we you know talk about stoicism so um yeah i'm out there and i'll, I'll try to do a better job following the prompting of my friend to to do more of these interviews and, uh, and enhance my profile in the online stoic community well, I hope so. So yes, I'm going to put all those links in the show notes and uh, seriously, William, if you want to come back here, we will have you as many, many times as possible. Cause Oh, I'd be I, happy we, to. We only touched happy. on one topic today, but there's so much we can discuss. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you very much. It's been, a, it's been a joy. All right. So there you have it. My interview with William O. Stevens. Now make sure you head to the links in the show notes, check out what he's up to and grab his books as well. Uh, seriously, such a knowledgeable person. We're going to have him back on many more times, but I hope you enjoyed that. And I'll talk to you next time. And uh, until then, I hope that this episode has helped you on your rise to the good life. Ciao. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Practical Stoic Podcast. If you'd like to stay up to date with the Practical Stoic community and everything to do with this podcast, then just go to my website, simonjedrew.com and subscribe to the Practical Stoic Weekly, a newsletter that I send out every week with updates and all sorts of great Stoic insights. You can also find me everywhere online by searching Simon J. E. Drew. See you next time.